So today we're going to talk about the E-Myth and automating your business. So Travis, uh, for the past few months, has kind of automated some operations in his business. So today we're going to go behind the scenes of Be Dancer and kind of talk about how he's gone through that path and how it can help you out. So uh, Travis, you picked this topic. Um, why'd you pick this one, man? There's a couple different reasons I wanted to talk about this. And the big thing is this is a great, great book and it's all about systems. And what a system is basically is figuring out the best way to do something. So for instance, a system at McDonald's might be uh, put the hamburger down, let it cook for 45 seconds, flip it, let it cook on the 45 seconds on the other side, and then you know the rest of the steps of the process. And this is why a company like McDonald's is able to hire someone out of high school and they can pretty much start that day cooking hamburgers. And this is something that you should be able to apply to your business too, is figure out what am I doing every day? How can I turn this into an algorithm, a formula that I can teach anybody? And I read this book before I had my first sale. And this is something going into my business I constantly was thinking about is how can we optimize the business so that we can hire someone out, of, out on the streets, bring them in, and they can figure out how to do it right away. And one of the keys with this methodology and one of the keys that this book teaches you is you need to start from the bottom and work your way up. So in your business, you got to think what is, for instance, once again, using the McDonald's, uh, scenario is you would start as a fry cook. And then once you figure out all the systems necessary for that, you'd figure out how do I manage these people? And once you figure out all of that, then you'd work your way up so you could be able to hire people and teach people how to do everything. Yeah. And one thing before we get into this is that when you started out, I believe it was just you and your mother running this business. And now you kind of have more people and you're sending up the facility. So what does it look like uh, starting out and versus right now. And I guess before we get into that, because I think it's important to give people a perspective on where you've been, where you are now before we say, hey, just automate everything. Because I think there's a misconception that you can just hire like 10 VAs and have like a $10,000, a million dollar business because you outsourced everything. No, and yeah, you're right. That's something you need to start off doing everything yourself because you need to figure out how it works. And I mean, you know, obviously you can freelance some stuff, whatever, but the best way to do it is figure out what you can figure out, figure out the most efficient ways to do things. So when we started, it was just me and my mom. I was in charge of all the technical side of things, the website, the marketing, anything up until someone buys something. And then once they bought something, she kicked in with her role, which was production. So once someone bought something, then my mom would cut it, sew it, ship it off. And when we started, we didn't really have a lot of employees. I think we might've had like a friend that would help us with some of the cutting and the, and the shipping. But now we have a quote unquote production facility. And on my side of the technology things, it's just me and my virtual assistant. And we have a couple, we have a person that also helps out uh, from time to time. But on the production side of things, it is my mom's kind of the head honcho, obviously. And we have two sewers and about, five to six, uh, some, some are part-time, some are full-time shippers and cutters and doing all the, on all the less skilled work. Cause really sewing is a pretty skilled thing. You can't just teach someone off the street how to sew properly, but all the other stuff, we're able to take someone that has zero experience in this field and say, Hey, here's our methodology. This is our flow, our workflow, everything. And we're able to teach them. All right, we get an order in, then we cut it then we bring it to the sewers. After we sew it, we pack it up and ship it out. What levels were you at when you realized that 
your mother couldn't do production by herself. You needed to hire like more people. That's a good question. Uh, it, it was a very gradual process. I think that when we first started getting to that point, we had people shipping things out and doing some of the cutting. The really the big turning point actually was getting the production facility because that's when we were able to start getting people that weren't just friends. Because before that, we were kind of doing everything out of our house. And when you're doing everything out of your house, you don't want to hire people that you don't fully trust. You only want to have people coming in that you really, you know, believe aren't going to sue you or aren't going to do anything like that. So it was about the 12 to 14,000 a month mark that we realized, hey, we need to get a production facility because the big thing was we kind of capped out our production out of the house. And how many orders does that translate to roughly like with that level of revenue? Uh, our average order is about $70. So what is that? Is that 200 or 2000? Yeah, I think it's like 200 orders a month. And you know, the problem was when we were doing it out of our house, there was kind of this scare of we don't want to grow because we don't want to max out our production. But as soon as we took that step into getting the production facility, it's like, okay, we're spending $1,400 a month on rent. We better max this out. So I love that from like a psychological perspective, it turned into like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to work too hard on my side, the marketing side, because then we might get too many uh, sales and we won't be able to fulfill them as opposed to now we're in the production facility. It's like, Hey, I got to start picking up the pace because we got to pay for this. And the cool thing is we're actually, we're at the point now where we need to hire more and more people. And we're, we're just taught, we were just talking about how we need to hire another sewer and another person to cut full time. So it's a, it's a good place to be in. It's kind of like the mental barrier of fear of success, maybe. A little bit or exactly so when did yeah. you realize you guys had to break through that like you got the facility you're like all right screw it we got to go all in because we're paying this already or was there another thing that well, kind of the interesting thing is since i'm 100 on the marketing and the the website design i don't really touch the the filling the order side i always felt that way but as far as my mom goes i think that uh we knew that the next season was going to be a, a big season for us no matter what so the summer months aren't really very, not a lot of sales are made during the summer months. And we knew that there was a good chance that come September, October, sales were going to blow up, whether I did any marketing or not, just because people are hearing about us organically at this point. And we knew that there would be a chance that we'd be not be able to work out of the house, even if I stopped marketing. So we kind of realized, hey, I might as well get out there, do what I do, do the marketing and try to grow it as big as possible. Does that make sense? Yeah, so if we go back to the book, The E-Myth, there were three roles, right? There's a technician, entrepreneur, and the manager. So how did you and your mother kind of split these three roles? Yeah, so uh, in The E-Myth, it talks about the technician a lot, and it says that most businesses, most small businesses are started by the technician. And the technician is the person that's really good at a skill. It's the person that works at a job for you know 10 years, and they have one, like small bit of knowledge. So maybe it'd be hypothetically a seamstress working for us. So a seamstress that's working for us is like, hey, I know how to sew these you know, costumes. This is really easy. I'm going to go out and start my own dance clothing business. And what happens with the technicians is they get in it and they're really good at that, that one small skill, but they don't realize that you need to have the other two skills, which is the entrepreneur and the manager to make a business complete. So the technician is the person that's good at the specific skills. The entrepreneur is the person that has the big ideas, that's constantly trying to push the boundaries. It's kind of the person that doesn't really 
want to do the work. He wants to have the ideas, figure out the systems and get them in place. And then last is the manager who really is, they talk about the manager is the person in the book that's extremely organized, that all that really wants to get the systems together and is trying to figure out how to best manage people basically. And so the way me and my mom do it is really, she's a technician at heart with a little bit of uh, entrepreneur, a little bit of manager as well. Well, we're on the entrepreneur with a little bit of manager and almost no technician. So it really complements uh, it well because she knows how to do all the technical aspects of the business. And the technician, they say in the books, the person that always wants to be working, that wants to do everything themselves. Now, the entrepreneur and the manager kind of know you can't do everything yourself. You need to eventually hire employees. And this is something you see a lot of times in businesses is they fail because they have the person that wants to do everything themselves. And actually a, a quick example of that is my dad owned a pool cleaning business and pool you know, maintenance and everything. And he realized that if he did the work himself, he's able to make more money he's able to make 100% profit. And if he hires someone else to do the work, he's making a much smaller percentage of the profit because he has to hire someone. Now, I think what he didn't fully realize is you hire that one person, you expand your territory. This is kind of the idea that the entrepreneur is able to think you need to expand the territory. Then you hire another person. So even though you're making less money for the per job, you're able to grow a business as opposed to just having a job. Yeah, it's like the concept uh, scale or impact, right? You either have impacts, if he does it by himself, yeah, he'll pocket everything, but you don't, you miss out on bigger job. But then to get the same level of revenue, if he did it himself, maybe he needs to hire, you know, three people and do you know four times the amount of work to even match it, right? But then he has the scale that he can profit on down the line too. Yeah. So one thing the book mentioned was the franchise prototype, right? And I think when the book came out, I think it came out in like what the eighties or something like that. And yeah. McDonald's was like the best example, and, and they still do have really good franchises like if you look at like the mcdonald's in vietnam like singapore taiwan the u.s like they're all really ru tightly run ships and, and there was a good reddit thread i saw a couple months ago where this guy had like an ama like he had like four mcdonald's in new zealand and he's talking about like his revenues uh, how everything works and basically it's like a turnkey solution like the corporate tells you hey here's what you do this here's how you do that and then you just train everything you just make sure the machine kind of works too so when you were reading this book how did you apply those concepts to kind of uh, changing the roles from you know your mother being the only technician to hiring people and kind of freeing her to do other things. So we constantly thought, how can we hire someone with a high school level education or, or no high school level education and give them the task and have them working, start working ASAP. And once you have that mindset, it actually clears up your thinking because you're not so scattered. You, you think, how can I make this as simple as possible? And so we did that every step of the way. And it's, it's a constant process. And we're only like about now coming to real answers because now that we have the production facility and we, we've actually gone through a decent amount of orders, we're able to see, hey, this isn't necessarily the most efficient method. So a good example is, Right now we're doing, last month we did about 40,000 in revenue and that equates to, I don't know, I think like 700 sales. So about uh, 15 a day or so. And with the 15 a day, you need to have a system so you don't forget about things because, you know, some people want their order to be rushed or we'll also do a little bit of customization. Some people want their item to be a little bit longer. And if we don't have a solid system in place that everybody knows and it's very simple, it's very easy to lose those kind of, lose orders and stuff like that. You're gonna have a huge backlog in like three days if you don't 
get this sorted out, right? So then you'll have in a week you'll have like a few hundred laying around. Exactly. So that's what we were able to do. And the thing is basically you're really trying to work this frees you up to work on your business and instead of in it. And that's kind of an overused catchphrase. But what that basically means is if you're bogged down, you know, doing all the grunt work, then you're not able to think, how can I actually grow my business? So my dad, for instance, was really bogged down, you know, cleaning pools, doing really hard labor day after day, instead of thinking, you know, how can I do the marketing? How can I improve that? And so if you're able to hire someone else to do the marketing. So if he was able to make a system saying, this is how you clean a pool, you know, maybe have a checklist or something very simple, then he's able to free up his time to say, hey, how can I find new customers? In the book, there was also a concept of like productizing or standardizing everything before you hit that scale point. But before you get into that though, like when your mother was hiring new staff, uh, how long did she spend training these people? Like, was it like a day thing? Or like, did you guys write like an instruction manual, like an SOP? to train new people or like, what did that look like to hand things off? You know, I'm actually disappointed. I wasn't there for a lot of it. And I think a lot of it was kind of a gradual process. We didn't really have solid systems in places in place at the time. I think what we, one of the things we do is we have, all right, if it's, you pick what color, what fabric it is, pull out the roll and you cut the patterns. And we didn't have a specific standardized way of training people. But that's something that I'm actually working on currently. And I think what we're going to do is try to get them up and going as soon as possible. And we'll also have an operations manual that basically says anytime someone's confused, they just go there, look it up. And if they can't find it, then they come ask somebody. Yeah, Because the idea is that, hey, here's how you make jazz pants or leotards from step one to like step 20. And if you have any questions, here's the FAQ. And if you don't really don't know, then ask us, right? Because that's really where you really free yourself up instead of like, oh, here's how you do this, here's how you do that. Let me do one with you. And then you end up wasting like who knows how much time showing someone. Yeah, and now we have it to the point where basically if you know what color, what fabric it is, you know a, a general section where it is. Then you figure out what color it is and you're able to figure that out completely on your own. And then you go to a rack where all the patterns are. You grab a pattern and it'll say what size it is. You put it down cut it and then you put it in the bag and there's like one or two small other steps. But basically right now, anybody that just listened to me say that could come work for me. That's really all it is. So what else are you looking to include in your operations manual that you kind of brought up? Literally everything that's repetitive in the business, everything from, so what I'm, I did is I broke it down into five different sections that is the production flow. The first is when we get the order and just talking with the people and how, what happens when we get the order? And basically what happens is we write on a spreadsheet style thing, uh, what's contained in the order, the order number and the name of the person. And that's kind of a, that's a long process because when people are doing that, they're wasting time handwriting everything. And I know that we can just upload that into Excel. Now, the problem is my mom doesn't know that because she's not technical like him. I am. So what I was able to do, even in just figuring out the system is I hired my VA. First, I spent about a day writing an Excel program that formats it correctly for our order form. But then I told my VA every day, upload the orders into this Excel spreadsheet, put them into basically a giant PDF. And then all the people have to do for station one now is print out that PDF. So that's station one, getting the orders ready, putting them on the form. Station two is cutting uh, the cutting the items. And once they're cut, and I, I believe putting the elastic or any other kind of miscellaneous things with it. Station three goes to sewing. 
Uh, station four, I believe, is doing like a check, cutting off any kind of threads, and station five is shipping. So all that information and every step of the process will be in the operations manual. I'll also include uh, customer care and refunds. So the customer care is if somebody calls in and they have a complaint, it's like, okay, here's the response for that. Or if someone wants to make a place in order, wants to place an order, this is how you do it. If someone wants a refund, this is how you do it. I don't want to have to explain to every new employee we get how to do it. I don't want people to forget and come ask me again. So everything like that will be in the manual. So an idea I had that's not in the book, and I don't think it was in the book because it was made in the 80s, is basically make videos that go along with every different operation. So for instance, I'll say in my operations manual, under customer care, how to place a phone order, watch video, whatever. So I'll have the instructions written out, but I'll also have like a screencasting, the same thing that I give to my VAs basically on how to do it. So people, if they're unsure where the button is or whatever, they're able to go to the screencast and just say, oh, okay, this is where I do, this is how I do it. And I'm thinking even doing videos for the non-computer work such as cutting, that way people can watch it and they don't have to ask those quote-unquote stupid questions if they don't want to. Yeah. So, so I guess out of the five sections you just talked about, which one are you focusing on right now? I'm going to actually go in tomorrow. So I, I focused on station one. I think the next station that I'm going to try to conquer is station two, which is the cutting. So I'm actually going to go in tomorrow and figure out how to do the cutting, how to do every part of that. And it's it's small little things where I can add value. So maybe I realize, hey, instead of the tables being set up like this, maybe we can set them up like this and you'll you'll be able to get the fabric, you know, five seconds quicker every time, but that adds up or how can I make the employee's life easier? So I guess if we move on, uh, we had a couple topics about innovation, quantification and orchestration. So what do you mean when you wanted to talk about this? So the innovation is basically you constantly should be thinking about how you want to improve your business. This is kind of like the 10x thinking that you talk about. And it's a very, it's a very creative thing. It's something that you want to think a little bit outside the box. Now, quantify is something very different and it actually will help you with your creative thinking. But quantifying is something that I didn't really uh, think about that much until I reread it. And it's basically, how can you quantify every aspect of your business? And it's a lot easier for people that are in the online world. But for instance, people that are in the offline world, this is something they don't even think about. And a lot of businesses have an offline component. So for instance, with you in Baller Leather, you might have something that you think about with emails. You know, you might get you might get customer emails and you get the same kind of complaints or the same kind of questions or whatever. Now, if you can keep track of that in a relatively easy way, you'll see, holy cow, uh, last month I got 10 questions about whether these wallets are waterproof. I don't know, something, you know, silly. And you can add that to a, an FAQ or for instance, with me, if we get a bunch of sales calls and they all are saying, oh, you know, do you guys offer a discount to dance studios? Maybe that's something that we should say, or you guys offer anything like that. You want to figure out how you can quantify stuff and improve it. So another example, actually, if we get a lot of people calling and complaining that our, our processing is taking too long, that shipping out their orders taking too long, which the way our company works is it does take longer than most companies because we make to order. Then I know that, hey, we should tell them earlier on in the selling cycle. That way I don't have these angry emails. So that's one way we used it. Yeah, you can also measure from the time the order comes in 
to the time it goes out the door and then backtrack all right how much how much time do we spend on stage one stage two stage three stage four and then kind of figure out things that's the yeah sorry that's another thing i'm working on and that is so much harder than i think most people realize but it's it needs to be done yeah but in terms of like quantifying you're just wrapping your head around the hey it can be quantified whereas like back in the old school like if you had a magazine ad like i guess you have circulation numbers but the way to track it was that you would have these 1-800 numbers that then you can track all right if this ad was circulated to 10,000 people and we got 100 calls, we have this rate. And then, like, I guess old school, it worked too in direct marketing, but just online is so much easier because you have all the data now, too, like from like your visitors, yeah. conversions, you know, shopping cart. Abandonment. It takes a lot of the questioning out of it. I mean, if I put up a banner ad, I don't know if people are coming from my website through the banner or if they're coming, and I'm talking about like a, a banner on the street kind of thing not like a, a display banner but i don't know where they're coming from maybe the, it's people are just spreading it word of mouth so take advantage of the fact that you're online and use that data yeah, yeah so what about management strategy then he talked about this a little bit in the book also too basically through the franchise model so how do you manage something once you franchise it out like do you have any looked into that yet um not specifically but basically what the book talks about is it's pretty easy once the systems are in place once you know how everything should work, then, you know, starting in, in, in this case, a franchise is relatively easy because you already know exactly how every step of the process is going to be. And contrast that with somebody, let's say like a mom, pa sandwich shop, and they just kind of like, oh, well, we just make whatever they order. And we, you know, we put a lot of love into it. How do you train someone to do that? So you open up a second shop and it's like, you can't really train someone to do it unless you have it systematized. But once you have it systematized, really managing people is fairly simple. It's like either you went along with what you're supposed to do or you didn't, and it makes it a little bit more black and white. Yeah, I think one thing this book missed out on was like the mom and pop shops intimate feel versus corporate franchise feel. And I think in the 80s, it was either or, right? But now it's kind of interesting because they're social too, I think. Well, I see uh, it talks about that in the book too. So I, I just reread it and it was talking, the, the main case study is this uh, woman that, want, that has a pie shop and she learned how to make pies from her, grand, or her aunt. And that's exactly what she says is it's going to feel so, so cold. But the point is basically how can you... So in the same way that you make a pie, you make it with a lot of love, sure, but you need to follow a recipe. You don't just say, I don't know, put as much sugar as you think should be in there and as much flour as you think should be in there, whatever. But it's kind of over time figuring out how to make that recipe perfect and how to, and once you have the perfect recipe, it still takes a pretty good baker to make it. You put that work into it in the same way. I don't know if you ever watched uh, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. It's very much like that. What he makes is very basic sushi on one regard, but at the same time, it's work of art. So you can definitely still systematize it, but have that really mon feel. So it could be, and he talks about this in the book, you know, the customer is always right, even when they're wrong. And that's a, a good example. You know, McDonald's doesn't necessarily have that feel, but if you go to a local like Mon Pa kind of restaurant, it definitely has that feel. And part of it is they tell the people working there, hey, don't be a jerk. The customer's always right. You know, you don't need to, uh, if they come to you with a complaint, make sure that they walk away happier. And you look at, you contrast that with restaurants where they don't say that, they don't make that very obvious. You get people that are kind of, you get employees that are kind of rude to the customers. So that's, where I disagree with you, but... Yeah, well, I think that comes from the top because I was watching, like, 
uh, Gary Vaynerchuk's YouTube channel today. So every day he does like a Ask Gary V type of thing. And one of the questions he got asked was that, you know, when senior people from other ad agencies come to his company, like what do they say? And they say, oh, usually like it's really competitive, but at VaynerMedia it's apparently really chill. Everyone's really friendly. And then he says it's because he treats people well that the staff ends up treating people well too and their peers. Whereas like, I guess in a big, you know, bank, everyone's kind of cutthroat and things like that too. Even though both operations could have standardized things that are franchise modeled, not like that too. So. Yeah, and you know, the, the book also goes into kind of making work a game, kind of a never ending game that's uh, that's fun to be a part of. So it, it should be, think how you can add aspects to it so it's not just a monotonous, like never ending thing. And you know, that could be a, a couple different ways. It doesn't go into a lot of details, but I think it's a it's an interesting thought to start putting towards your business. Exactly. All right. So I guess if we move on to kind of people strategy or marketing. So uh, what does the book talk about uh, in this section? So in the marketing, it, it really says you need to learn everything about your demographic. You can, you should figure out, you know, if they're, for instance, let's use my thing as an example, dance clothing. Okay. Well, what other kind of companies are advertising to these people? Well, yoga clothing is a, a good example. And what kind of material are they you know, posting on their Facebook and really the goal is to figure out everything you can about this demographic. What color do they like? What uh, feel do they want when they buy it? Now, the feel I buy when I buy a shirt is very different that I want to get than a dance mom buying a pair of dance pants. And I tried to incorporate this. I tried to, in my site, make it feel like a very, very childish in a way. And, and what I mean by that is basically when a dance mom buys a pair of dance pants, she's slightly remembering what it's like to be a little girl. That's why I picked pink is the color and I have in the upper left-hand corner a, a dancer jumping and little things like that. I really wanted to make a mom or a dance studio owner or whoever's buying think, hey, I'm buying the highest quality thing I can for my little ray of sunshine. So you really, you need to get into your, in, into your market's head and think, what do they really want? Yeah, nostalgia is a powerful emotion. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, there's, a, there's an article I read. Uh, I don't know if you follow Groove HQ. They're a software company, and they've been publicly uh, writing about their journey to 100K monthly revenue, and they just hit it, I think, uh, two weeks ago. So yeah, their founder wrote a bunch of lessons. And basically, number one was that uh, customer knowledge trumps everything else you could possibly do in any business. And they wasted so much time building things that no one wanted. And basically, like, if he could... He would just talk to like all 2000 customers for like two weeks instead of like building things and doing that too. So it kind of echoes what you said too, with kind of knowing who the moms are, what they do, what kind of resonates with them and things like you that. You know, an interesting thing too, especially for newer businesses, don't be afraid to pick up the phone and call somebody. This isn't something I've done yet, but it's something I want to implement into our strategy. I mean, I don't think most people are used to getting a call from a real person that really just is saying like, you know, hey, uh, you ordered from us a little while ago. I just wanted to make sure everything's okay. Uh, you know, everything was good with the order, blah, blah, blah. You know, let, let us know if there's any problems. And then you can ask like, you know, do you mind if I ask you, uh, is there anything I can do to improve the site or something like that? I mean, you know, don't have this list of 10 questions and be like, well, you take this automated survey, please press one. No, but if you're a real person and you call and you're just like, yeah, I just want to make sure you really enjoyed the order. I think people are okay with that. And I'm going to test that very soon and I'll report back. Yeah, there's one guest I had, I think Damn Horse Toys. They've been in business for like, I think like since the 1920s or something like that. It's like a third generation business. And he was, the owner was saying, 
he put his he puts his cell phone in every order and he actually doesn't get that many calls so like one thing i was gonna do thinking about this yesterday was like you know what i'm just gonna put my phone number on the kickstarter page because no one else has done it before and it'll be interesting to see who actually calls me and i think the people who who actually do call you will probably be like your biggest fans and you can talk to them see what they like what they don't like and you can ask them to like share it with their friends because they've talked to you and I, i saw this i got this idea when i was looking at another project um i forgot what it was but basically the one of the backers had talked to the founders and he was like oh that was so cool i got to talk to them for like 10 minutes i was like you know what we should just put that on there and see who calls you and no one's ever done this before so it might be an interesting story to test could out. you put that as a uh, like maybe you know spend five dollars get like a five minute conversation i mean you know, something to that that but that might be an interesting one i mean i guess for your products probably a little bit less but uh less of an interest but if someone has like a relevant product where I don't know if there's a Kickstarter for, you know, something that people would want to talk to the owner, but I think that'd just be an interesting idea. All right, so let's let's move on into systems a little bit. So in the book, he talks about three kinds, right? Hard systems, soft systems, and info systems. So what's the deal with these three? So the big thing you want to keep in mind is you want to think how can you utilize all these systems in your business. And hard systems are things such as like a tool that improves your business or something like that that's very almost cold and non-thinking. So a good example is I found I can bulk change all my photos using Photoshop automated bulk changes. And that's a good example of a hard system that saves me time. Now, soft systems are systems to make basically people do the job that you want to do. So this is an example of this would be I tell my VA, okay, I want you to make this change on all 100 photos and go. And what this is, is it's a system that lets someone that's not extremely skilled at a task, or at least doesn't have the knowledge that I have, figure it out and be able to do it uh, repeatedly. And now the last one is information systems. And information systems basically put in place all, all the information, they gather all the information and data about your business and operations. And what this does is it allows you to compare how your company does under different circumstances. So maybe I wanna you know, split test how many um, calls we get if the phone number's up at the top left-hand corner versus the bottom of the website. Or actually a big thing that I wanna add to my business is split testing scripts on the phone. So, so for instance, someone calls in you know, this many people, uh, these people that do the phone orders, what percentage call back and place another order or what percent, what percentage of people order with us again? And does it make a difference whether we say this or this? So little things like that basically is what an information system is. So you want to utilize all three of these systems together and try to make your business basically as automated as possible. Yeah, gotcha. So I guess if someone was to start making a system, where would they start first? Or where did you start um, first? Actually, you know, an example I wanted to talk about earlier is you really should try to make everything as uniform as possible. And what I mean by this is any task that you do repetitively, try to use the same method every time. So an example for me is I back up my site routinely and I don't do it always on the same day or anything like that, though I probably should. I probably should do it the first of every month and just automatically do it. I haven't done that. In fact, in the past, what I did is I'd save it to random places. I'd save it to whatever computer I was using, save it to that hard drive, have a different name. Now, let's contrast that with if I did maybe every two months, I back up my site, whatever. That's not, it's not important. But let's say every time I back it up, I put it in the same folder and I name it with the date and you know, site backup, that, that was the name. 
that would be so easy that if I were to need to back up my site, I wouldn't have to think twice. And this has happened many times where there's an element I changed on my website and I need to figure out how to back up that part of the website, but I can't remember where I put the, the site backup data. And that's because I didn't have a system in place to make it very simple. So the truth is, in any, any way that you can do it. Uh, another example of something I did is I started automating my email responses and there's a great app called, or it's not an app, I guess it's a program on, that you can get on your computer called Texter. This is actually where I'd recommend people start. Texter, what it does is it's an auto expander and there might be other tools out there, but I'm not familiar with them. And basically, let's say I wanted to have an email response every time someone emails me to ask uh, how they can place an order or some very easy question. I would type in email response one space and it would expand to this whole long thing explaining our business. And then if I wanted to, I can customize certain sections. But basically, instead of having to copy and paste the same response over again or come up with a new response every time, which would just be insane. I mean, think about how often you, you answer the same freaking question in an email it's all the time. If you're able to just type a couple letters in a space bar and have that automated response, that's so much more efficient. So if you don't know where to start, Texture's a good place to start. And there's a lot of other little examples. Yeah, so I guess to wrap things up, in terms of like automating certain things in your business, like where would you say you're at now out of like 100%, like 20, 30, not close to half, or what are you thinking about? That's a really hard question. I think on the, the marketing side of things, that's a, yeah, that's a really tough question. I think on the marketing side of things, probably at like 75%. That being said, I have a lot of new things, new tactics I want to implement. And as soon as you implement a new tactic, uh, you know, for that tactic, you're back to 0%. So I'll never be 100% until I'm at the point where I'm happy with the amount of money I'm making. Like I have a personal goal to be making two to $300 passively a day. And at that point, I kind of want to move on to my next project. So once I can get to that point, I think it'll be somewhat self-sustaining. But the truth is, if you want to have a, a multi-million dollar co a company, you're never truly done. You're only done with sections. So for instance, for me, I'm pretty, I'm like, I'm like 95% done with AdWords because I've had that for long enough. I've gotten 95% of the success I can from it. You know, I can always optimize different keywords and stuff like that. But, you know, there's not much left that I can do there. But as far as Facebook goes... I'm, um, you know, just beginning on that, optimizing that. There's also the thing where you always want to be growing too, right? If you're just sitting around doing nothing, 100% is automated. Well, at some point, competition will catch up to you, market will change, systems will break, things like that. Yeah, too. that's so, true. Absolutely. Yeah, it's never about 100% automating, but although certainly it's not a point to not automate either too. Yeah, so. and I think something a lot of people get like hung up on is the fact that you'll never be able to automate fully, quote unquote. But the truth is, the goal is to automate certain tasks so you can move on to other tasks. If I never automated AdWords or certain uh, posting of the blog is, for example, something that I automated. If I never automated that, I'd be spending five hours every week doing that instead of working on five hours of new material. So automate anything you can so you can move on to bigger and better, greener pastures. Yeah. So everyone, we hope that's been helpful. Uh, certainly, I know your business listener is going to be different than Travis's. Uh, or mine. So I think the framework that we talked about today is pretty useful in terms of separating your business into different departments and then figuring out if you use a hard system, soft system, information system, and also the three lists. Like what do you hate doing? 
uh, what are you not good at and what you shouldn't be doing and kind of it'll be a good framework for how you can kind of source things out uh, to other people get outside help or just kind of automate it through software yeah. so before we leave uh, the tip of this week it kind of has to do with pinterest so what's the tip of this week the cool thing is Pinterest recently came out with PPC and the way it works, and I haven't yet utilized this, but it's on my list of things to do in the next month is you can advertise a pin and it'll show up on different people's, it'll show up on, you know, a bunch of people's feed and you only get charged when people actually click to your website. Now that means that people can pin it and you won't get charged anything. So there's a couple different things that you can do with this. And you can have some really cool and unique pins that go to your product pages. That's a very you know easy one. You can also have it go to things such as email capture forms, really anything you can think of. So Pinterest coming out with this is going to be a game changer for people in industries that can utilize Pinterest, basically. It's like the best world of CPM and CPC combined. In some exactly. Way. And it's something that not a lot of people are using yet. And I think anytime a new platform opens up to marketing, get on it while you can, because it's going to eventually get saturated, you know, and there's a chance that people are going to get so sick of all the ads that Pinterest basically uh, either goes downhill and another competitor comes up or they have to change the algorithm or something like that. So make sure you figure it out while it's still a open market. It's usually cheap enough too to have a good ROI before everyone crowds in. Too, exactly. Yeah. But I believe then it also has a kind of social aspect because on Pinterest, so maybe someone pins your item and their followers pin three of your items and each of those people pin three of your items and they click on it. Well, that doesn't come from one of your ads. That's a uh, an unadvertised click. So I believe that that wouldn't get charged and I could be wrong on this, but either way, it is a way to do something different that other people aren't really doing right now. Yeah. All right, cool. So I guess uh, that's it for today. Uh, thanks everyone for joining us. And uh, as we said before, uh, if you know someone in the LA area, Southern California, who has a house uh, for rent for three to five people, let us know. Terry at BuildMyOnlineStore.com or Travis at BuildMyOnlineStore.com. And we'll see you guys next week. Yep. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast. If you want the show notes, make sure to check out the website at buildmyonlinestore.com. And if you got an e-commerce store, every two weeks I lead a live mastermind call with about five or six of the listeners in two separate groups where we work openly together and solve a business problem that you have. And we're all there to support each other. So if this sounds like a cup of tea, make sure to check us out at buildmyonlinestore.com slash mastermind. Thanks again for tuning in and I'll catch up with you guys next week.